Welcome to the Rich Room Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Sobel. Where you can master the art of enriching your life. What kind of kindergarten shit is this? And finding a path to financial freedom. Who the fuck was supposed to teach me how to do my taxes? So sit back, relax, and step into the Rich Room. You know I can't help these because they know they can never touch these. Welcome to the Rich Room, everyone. Um, it's my fucking birthday, y'all. I am recording live on my motherfucking birthday. I was born at 5.53 a.m. Obviously, I didn't choose to be a morning person, but the morning person life chose me. Now, I wake up a little earlier than that, but around that time every day. This year feels different than any other year. I've officially reached my mid-30s, and I could not be more thrilled. This is the first year that I am not worried about whether someone will do something for me on my birthday, because I have set this day up to give myself more than I have ever received on any other birthday in my entire fucking life. In previous years, I have not always liked my birthday. And I will go out on a limb and say I hated my birthday, because... Usually, no one has the time, money, or effort at this time of the year for something extra. I had a 30th birthday party five years ago, and most of my friends couldn't come because it was in late December, and people are just fucking busy before Christmas. There's holiday parties, people tend to travel, it's just not an ideal time to be trying to celebrate your birthday. I seriously considered just switching my birthday to the summer and celebrating it then. But I think I'm going to lean into this now. And when you've never made yourself a priority and then other people don't make you a priority or just simply can't because of conflicts or something, you start to feel like absolute dog shit. Ooh, I need to go to Sephora and get my free birthday gift. But this year is different because I have made myself the number one person in my life. I mean, apart from my daughter. And I have a fantastic spa day planned after I record this episode. I'm taking myself to a fabulous and luxurious spa day at the Four Seasons in Miami Beach. I've selected a two-hour massage that is specifically designed for life's most challenging times. And then I also selected a 75-minute facial that I am very excited about and I decided that after my treatments are over I'm going to the champagne bar inside the Four Seasons and I will have myself a lovely glass or two of champagne to celebrate my new chapter in life y'all can't see this but Lydia's fucking attacking me while I'm talking I told y'all how she attacks me when I sing and now I'm trying to do this podcast and she won't stop attacking me It must be my projecting voice. What's your problem, dude? Aw, come on, bro. I'm also going to treat myself to an uber black on the way there and back. And as my good friend Ryan Hall would say, they'll think the president's arriving. (sighs) They'll know it's not the president once a female steps out of the car. And that's a little sad, but let me live a little on my birthday, okay? My next challenge is to get in ridiculous shape. I'm pretty sure that I can do it, and if there was ever a time to do it, it would be now. I just started Pilates, and we will see where that shit takes me. 
I love the Pilates place that I have been going to. I've really been going for physical therapy treatment and I've gotten more answers and more pain relief than I have ever had in my entire life. And I did my first Pilates class yesterday and I gotta say, I'm feeling good today. And I know that exercising is part of it, but really it's mostly about eating. And thankfully, I've already surpassed peak eating in December since me and my daughter already celebrated Christmas together. I gotta say, I'm a big fan of celebrating Christmas early. And that is what we would do whenever she was younger and her dad wasn't in jail and he would kind of see her on some holidays. We would just celebrate Christmas early. And it was kind of nice because then you're done. You can put everything away. You can clean up. It's like you get a head start on the new year. So even though my family is Jewish, my immediate family did not grow up with any of the Jewish traditions. So we basically celebrated Christmas every year And now we celebrate Christmas every year, but also incorporate kind of a little bit of Hanukkah. And by that I mean we just say, Happy Hanukkah, and light a candle sometimes. We used to light candles, but I'll be honest, I don't know the traditions, and I don't really know what you're supposed to do, so I don't do them. Our traditions don't really center around religion. Our traditions mainly center around food. The food is the tradition to me. And you gotta have the staples for any good Christmas dinner, lunch, or both, or eating leftovers for the next five days. First up, you gotta have ham. And I think I've told you this before, I don't really like turkey, I never have, but a fuck with some ham. Like, fuck with it heavily. And I have extreme loyalty to honey-baked ham. And I feel like the honey-baked ham that I got this year might have been the best honey-baked ham that I've ever fucking had. You also gotta have mashed potatoes. And those bitches better be salty as fuck. I'm talking dead sea salty. One year, we accidentally bought too many potatoes. So we made multiple batches of mashed potatoes with varying salt levels. Some of my family members do not prefer salty potatoes. But your girl feels the saltier, the better. And I have passed my salty affliction down to my child. Because she's actually the one who made the Dead Sea salt potatoes. Finally, you have to have the bread. My choice of bread is a crescent roll. A classic crescent roll that you get from the store. I like them a little doughy, buttery, flaky. And my daughter actually got me a necklace with a little crescent roll on it for my birthday. And I absolutely love it. A close second to the crescent roll is the Hawaiian sweet roll. My mouth is watering just thinking about the Hawaiian sweet roll. And I don't know about you, but I like to take like a little Hawaiian sweet roll, put in a couple of small slices of honey baked ham, maybe a little cheese if you're feeling frisky. And oh my God, that must be what heaven tastes like. Heaven tastes like a sweet and salty ham Sammy. I'm hungry as fuck now. And I already ate all the ham. Fuck. I've got to go to Honey Baked Ham for my birthday. Oh my God, that's not a bad idea. Because they do actually serve just like sandwiches. Whoo shit. Okie dokie. Well, that's a plan. I am very excited to report that I successfully went out to a club in Miami. And it was a wonderful night. And I'm very proud of myself. Because going out in Miami was like another little hurdle I had to get over. 
there was like fear in my head about what it would be like to go out in Miami. I almost feel like because I grew up in Mississippi and lived in New Orleans for the past 10 years that I wouldn't have a good appreciation for what the Miami club scene was like. Like, I'm just a baby deer from Mississippi. I have no appreciation for the nightclub lifestyle in the big city. But you know what? I was actually totally fine. And really, I made it out to be so much bigger in my head. So we started our night off at this lovely Mediterranean restaurant. We were waiting for our table to get ready, and I was at the bar talking to these older gentlemen. And I could overhear their conversation. They were obviously attorneys and were talking about the problem they're having with younger attorneys who want to work remote. One argument I heard was, how are we going to make you partner if no one knows who you are when you work from home mainly? So let me give a little background. All law firms are structured differently, but from a general sense, a law firm is filled with attorneys, paralegals, legal assistants... And although I've only seen this in two firms I've worked at, there should be like an entirely separate accounting department or some other business department separate from the attorneys, assistants, and paralegals. And the way it works, I think, is that partners put up associate attorneys for partner once the associate attorney qualifies for partner. Now, qualifying for partner is a whole nother fucking conversation. But once you're put up for partner, I believe the partners all vote on whether or not they want the associate to be a partner in the firm. So I understand this gentleman's argument about needing his associate to be in the office if the associate wants to become partner. It's like you need to be campaigning or something in the office for your vie for partnership. But only a small pool of associates actually become partner. So it's like a pretty long-ass waiting game. And surely there are other events that could be organized within a firm to allow associates who work from home to mingle with other partners. It doesn't have to be in the office. I mean, there are solutions to this. We can think of a solution. Now, there are obviously people who will definitely make partner, and you can see those shining stars from a mile away. And you can definitely tell who the partners favor. Somehow, I got roped into the conversation with these gentlemen, and the other guy said something like, Associates aren't willing to wait the time it takes to be put up for partner. That's probably true, but because there's really no guarantee that you're actually going to make partner, and no one really tells you that there's another route other than making partner in a law firm. I truly think that nowadays, people my age are much more comfortable taking on a role that does not include any sort of management. The time period that it takes to be able to even qualify for partner is like usually around seven to 10 years. And there's no guarantee you're going to make partner. And then there's no guarantee that being a partner is going to be better than being an associate. And when I say better, I mean more money and better quality of life. At one of the firms I was at, I was told by someone who recently made partner that they were making less money than they did as an associate because the buy-in structure was weird or something and that they would make less than an associate for a few years. Uh, no thank you. And no one tells you this when you go to law school. I'll tell you that right now. It kind of baffles me that businesses are made up of people, but the people running the businesses in my experience, do not seem to be very well trained at being managers or managing other people at all. 
Now, I recognize that I have never ran a large business, so I'm obviously not speaking from experience from that perspective, but as someone who has been on the receiving end of ineffective management, y'all could use some work. Might I suggest a class on effective communication, maybe a class on how to determine a salary where you're in a high cost of living market? It does not make sense to me that someone should need more than one job. If you have a full-time job, you should be able to be paid enough so you don't have to work another fucking job to make rent or pay your bills. Oh, goodness gracious, y'all, the system is rigged. That is why you got to figure it out for yourself. Do not trust these jobs or employers to take care of you because they will not take care of you. They will take care of them and they will take care of the business. And don't worry if there's ever a disagreement between an associate and a partner. It will be handled fairly because the partner will always be right. I was literally told that. No matter what, the partner will always be right. Sounds fun, right? So as far as associates go on whether or not they want to be partners in a law firm, you probably need to decide if you're willing to wait the 7 to 10 years that it'll take. Um, And you got to be willing to eat shit and not disagree with a partner, which doesn't sound like much fun. There's also no guarantee that you will ever make partner after waiting that time period while you're busting your ass trying to go above and beyond so that someone hopefully someday will give you a raise. The law game has changed, y'all. And to sum it up quite nicely, the juice ain't worth the squeeze. So, yes, gentlemen at the bar, associates don't want to wait seven to ten years for the option to possibly be put up for partner, which may actually turn out to be a worse deal than becoming an associate. All of it is so subjective, too, because there's definitely a little political aspect involved in it. You don't just have to be good at your job. You also have to be good at wooing people and winning people over. And if someone doesn't like you who is important enough to make decisions, that's it. You've wasted all your time and energy and effort on this business that does not give a fuck about you and is not going to make you partner because you wore ugly shoes one time. I'm not speaking about myself or anyone in particular. I'm just showing how stupid and arbitrary it is. Let me also say there is no law school class that teaches you about this stuff. So it's all from word of mouth and it's all so secretive. It feels like everything is done behind closed doors and there's just a real lack of transparency. So you really have to look out for yourself because you don't really know what you're getting yourself into. Let me put it to you this way. If you died tomorrow, the job listing to fill your position would be posted before your obituary. I know I've been saying this for a while, but it is even more important in an employment situation. You have to look after yourself. No one at your job is looking out for you. And I'm saying this from a general sense because obviously there are some really good bosses out there and God bless you, but that is not the norm. I told the gentleman I was talking to at this restaurant bar in Miami that I used to be in this realm of like lawyers and whatnot. And one of the guys was like, well, what realm are you in now? And I was like, "Mm, the happy realm. And he just started laughing because he knows what I'm talking about. I told him about my ideas to start a business and build something. And he was like, I'm sure you're going to do really well. I couldn't tell if that was sarcasm or not, but I took it as a compliment. And I said, thank you, sir. So the dinner at this Mediterranean restaurant was fantastic. 
that's something else that Miami really has going for it. The food. There are so many different kinds of food to eat. I love Mediterranean food so much. So after we had dinner, we went back to the hotel to change into our hoe outfits for the club. Actually, I wore my hoe outfit to dinner because it was more of like an understated hoe, like an undercover hoe, if you will. I was wearing a black dress with a high neck, long sleeves, and the bottom had like a little wrap that you tied a bow. And then on the trim of the dress, there was like this little feather fringe. I was also wearing these like three inch thigh high black boots. And I had my hair in a messy top knot bun. Then it was time to go to the club. I almost had one panic attack, but I kept that shit at bay. We were with a group and it was someone else's job to procure the table. So when we arrived to the club, there appeared to be a little issue with the table, but it all got sorted out quickly. But in the past, when there's an issue, I will usually step in and help. But I told myself to stay in the back and not to say a fucking word. And I kept saying to myself, you're a baby dear. You're a baby dear. You're a baby dear. Because sometimes I really just cannot help myself. So now I have to actively restrain myself from taking over and solving a problem. All was well though. We got into the club and I was very excited. I spoke to every single person on the way. Every single bottle service girl telling them today was my first time in the club. And I was ready to have a good time. I'm a little bit of a dork but I don't care. So for those of you who have heard of the club, it's called Eleven. And in addition to it being a club, it is, for lack of better words, a strip club, which is cool, which I'm down with. It's actually the same club that Mia and Shauna heard their first song in on Rap Shit on HBO, which I just finished the first season and I really like it. But I digress. I don't remember seeing any nipple. Huh. Maybe they were just like scantily clad dancers. But their bodies were banging. I feel like it was around midnight when we arrived at the club, but I could be totally wrong about that. I have never been to a place where there are more exotic dancers present than patrons. I mean, there were a shit ton of performance and they all looked damn good. I was just in awe. So not only did they have exotic dancers and like go-go dancers, but there was also this like sexy contortionist show at one point and it was really cool. I made friends with our bottle service girl named Abby. She was so sweet. We had a section so we didn't really have to find a place to sit and honestly, I can't go back. I can't do a club any other way. I have to have somewhere to sit. I danced my little heart out for a few hours and I didn't talk to a single fucking person. I was just with my group vibing and dancing because the music is really loud so you can't really hear your friend if you want to talk so I was just fucking dancing. And I loved every minute of it I gotta say. I did go home before the rest of the group. I remember looking at my watch and it was like 2 a.m. or something and I was like, you know what? Let's go out on a high note. I've made it to 2 a.m. without any issues. I had a good time at the club. Let's go home at a reasonable time so that we ensure a second club experience. The next day, I did not feel very hungover, just a little tired. And I've also found that no matter how late I stay up, my body will always get up at 5 a.m. So I may as well just start my day then and take a nap later. 
I will tell you, there is nothing like waking up on a recovery day following a successful night at the club only to realize that you have your shows stacked up ready to watch. I had a new episode of Beverly Hills, Miami, Southern Charm, Southern Hospitality, and then three episodes of Ultimate Girls Trip Legacy Cast from New York City. Let's talk about that for a minute. So Ramona Singer, without a doubt, used a partial racial slur a few months ago within a DM with Page Six. So she was uninvited to BravoCon after that, leading us all to believe that Bravo might be done with with Ramona Singer and her antics. But here we are, Ultimate Girls Trip, and Ramona Singer's on it. So let's see how people feel about this. I think it's a little irresponsible of Bravo to be moving forward with the project with Ramona Singer without addressing the issue she had with Page Six. And it wasn't even the issue with Page Six. There were other allegations of her using racial slurs with the crew on her show, on her housewife show. I'm a little shocked by this. Less shocked that they released Ultimate Girls Tripped. More shocked that no one from Bravo is addressing it. Maybe they have addressed it and... I just haven't heard it because I have only been hearing happy birthday playing in my ears for days. Whatever. Back to the strip club. I would do so well in a strip club. I would make sure everyone had health care, even dental and vision, which is weird that dental and vision aren't included in regular health care, but I digress. I would make sure that all of the ladies had adequate childcare. We would have Sunday dinners. There would be a very strong sense of community. I could even help them unionize, maybe. I could draft the wills for them, handle their family court matters. Oh my God, would that not be a great show, having an attorney work in a strip club? Someone needs to hire me because I have so many good ideas. Not like hire me, like work for you because I'm going to be working for myself for the rest of my life. But like hire me, sending me a check for my ideas because I have so many and they just keep on coming. I've had a few strip club experiences in my life. I definitely went to the Pony in Starkville, Mississippi when I was in college I remember that my dress ripped for some reason and I was in the back with all of the dancers trying to see if anyone had like a little sewing kit or perhaps a safety pin. I made several friends and was told that I should come back and apply. I also went to this Claremont Lounge in Atlanta, which is kind of a different kind of strip club, but the music was really good and it's more of a novelty. I went with a group of girls on a bachelorette party and it was a really good time. Now, My favorite strip club to date is Penthouse in New Orleans. Now, Penthouse in New Orleans holds the number one spot as it relates to strip clubs. And I'm pretty sure this is Penthouse, but they have a two-story stripper pole. And when a girl climbs all the way up on the top and then spins all the way down like some Cirque du Soleil shit, you're ready to throw some dollars at that bitch. So apart from my club night, I think that I have officially become a local of Miami because I woke up the other day and realized that my vehicle had been broken into while it was sitting in my driveway. When I first realized that my vehicle had been broken into, I didn't react. I was thankful for all the years I'd spent in New Orleans because my car had been broken into so many times in New Orleans and this did not feel like anything new. In fact, Last year, 
on my birthday, my car was broken into outside of my house. Well, in this instance, I apparently did not lock my car. And this occurred after I went to get my honey-baked ham. And I was so concerned about my honey-baked ham that I apparently forgot to lock the doors to my car. Because the next morning when I got up and I was bringing my daughter to the airport so she could fly back to New Orleans, I realized that all of my doors were like slightly open. And when I looked into my car, my center console was open and rifled through, although there wasn't really much in there. And my glove box was open as well. Now, the only thing I had in there were two birthday cards. One for my friend Natalie, whose birthday is the day after mine, and one for my mom, whose birthday is two days after mine. I also had a wrapped present for my mom. Now, I can see why these items would be appealing to steal. Maybe there's cash in the card, but I imagine that the thief was very disappointed to open the cards and find that there was no money in them. Just a lot of love. And the book that I got my mom was like a writing prompt book that is titled, Tell Me Your Life Story, Mom. And it's all these writing prompts for my mom to kind of like develop and tell her stories. And it will be like a book in the end. But I bet that's not what the thief was hoping to get. And I didn't lose my cool when I realized that my car had been broken into, which is a major improvement for me. In fact, it really didn't bother me. I really didn't like the fact that someone had been in my car. That felt a little violating, but I also felt kind of sympathetic because people who have enough money do not steal out of other people's cars. They just don't. And this is a very hard time of year for so many people financially because it's real risky to steal in the area that I live in. There is a heavy police presence unlike anywhere I've ever lived, but I'm grateful for it. And the neighbors are pretty vigilant, especially the neighbors on the Ring camera app. Because my car was broken into on Sunday and there were two people apprehended today who were pulling at car handles in my neighborhood. And the neighbors on the Ring camera posted that video for everybody to see. One neighbor saw that these dudes were pulling car handles in broad daylight and asked them if it was their car and then the dudes ran. And they were later apprehended. I wonder if they'll send my mom her first birthday card because I think I said some really nice things but I forgot what I said when I wrote my second card so happy birthday to my mom I love you so I was reading the December Vogue the other day and it was clear to me that money rules everything you know cash rules everything around me but it's real clear that money talks because Lauren Sanchez, who no one even knows who the fuck that is, except that now she's engaged to Jeff Bezos. Is it Bezos or Bezos? Anyways, Lauren Sanchez is featured and has a spread in Vogue magazine. I'm talking a photo feature and a full article about this bitch. I didn't read it and my eyes will never fully recover from seeing the photo of her and Jeff Bezos in the cab of that truck. She's kind of giving me later in life Janice Dickinson. I mean, this woman does not belong in Vogue. I do not think of Jeff Bezos when I think of Vogue. And here is his mug on the fucking pages of Vogue. I wouldn't be surprised if they attended the Met Gala this year. Or better yet, I bet they're going to be hosts of the Met Gala. I bet Jeff Bezos is keeping Vogue alive financially, which is why Lauren Sanchez has such a feature in this issue. 
Now, I don't mean to shit on Lauren Sanchez. And if you're a fan of her, why? No, seriously, please text me why. Who is this bitch? It's just like when Elon Musk allegedly called some major movie studio so that Amber Heard could be in Aquaman 2 or some shit because no one wanted her to be in the film. But old Uncle Elon called the movie studio and made that shit happen. Because money fucking talks. That's one of the reasons I want to figure out this money thing. If you have money, you have power. That's a fact in our society. Now, if we were living in a non-civilized society, probably like how many cows and chickens you have makes you have power. Maybe the value is livestock. But here, in civilized society, we like to value metal and paper. And treat it as if it is the most important thing in the world. The craziest thing about money is that it is completely made up. We just decided to start putting faces on some coins and some rectangular paper and using that to build our fucking lives and rule our society. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. Man, Jeff Bezos and Lauren Sanchez in Vogue. I thought the Vogue Club was more exclusive than that, but as I have come to learn, if you have money... You can get into any club you want. So I've been seeing some weird shit on social media lately, and it has to do with parents. Parents dressing up as the Grinch and storming into their houses and stealing Christmas in front of their kids. I've seen many videos from different parents all over. And I'm assuming they're hoping to go viral and get followers or subscribers or whatever the fuck you want to call it, because apart from that, I don't see a reason to scare your kids. And they aren't just saying and scaring them for a second and letting them in on the prank immediately. These people are having a parent dress up as the Grinch, the mean old Grinch who stole Christmas. And these costumes are like full-on bodysuits that these people are wearing. So you would not know it is your parent by looking at them. The parents dress up as the Grinch and they break into their own homes when their children are in the living room and begin stealing the Christmas tree as well as the presents. They basically recreate the Grinch movie. As if that wasn't enough, the parents dressed as the Grinch are then chasing the children. And the reaction from these kids is really sad to see. And there's probably some of y'all out there saying, Oh, Lindsay, it's just a joke. It's just a prank. They need to lighten up. Um, They are kids. And as a parent, you're their entire fucking world. You are the person that they trust the most with everything. Why in the hell would you even think of betraying that trust for a fucking prank that you're going to film and put on stupid ass social media and you are inadvertently causing your kids childhood trauma and they're going to have to go to therapy for it way later in life and you the parents are going to have to pay for it because you break it you buy it and they're going to wonder why how come I never trust anybody why don't I believe anybody because the people you were supposed to believe the most in the world fucking betrayed you Now, I do think trust can be repaired, but I think that is very difficult. I don't know if it applies to the parent situation, though. It probably does. But I guess in any relationship you're in, trust is the fundamental foundation of the relationship. And although I think you can repair trust, just like if you broke a glass and you repaired it, you would still see the cracks. So it's definitely always going to be there. So parents... Please heed my warning and do not play these kinds of betraying tricks on your kids because no one's laughing and you're only causing them trauma.
I don't know how I got off on this tangent, but I'm fully convinced that I have ADD. Okay, let's talk about Housewives of Potomac real quick because the most recent episode is a really good illustration of my rich bitch tip of the week. So I'm going to tell you the tip first and then I'll illustrate. My tip this week involves unsolicited advice. We've all been on the receiving or giving end of unsolicited advice. I have a little trick I use when I have the urge to give unsolicited advice. I ask myself two questions regarding the advice that I'm thinking about giving. The first question, is the advice helpful? Is this piece of advice going to help the person's situation? Is my advice in some way going to move the needle to help solve whatever problem my person has? If your answer is no, then you don't move on to question number two and you do not give the advice. And you should keep that shit to yourself. Because if you're just giving advice, but it's not helpful, what's the fucking point? Let's hypothetically say that your answer to the question, is it helpful, was yes. Then you move on to question number two. Is the advice kind? Sometimes, really most of the time, actually all of the time, you do not need to give advice to anybody, even if it's helpful, but if it is unkind. Like, I think something that we don't do, a lot of us, or we just don't stay in our fucking lane and let people live their own fucking lives. Like, let people live the way they want to live. For instance, if someone said to me, Lindsay, you should stop eating so many Ghirardelli, dark chocolate, sea salt caramel squares. I would say, go fuck yourself. But seriously, is that advice helpful? Maybe. I don't know. But is it kind? No. Why are you telling me what to do about my Ghirardelli squares? Mind your business. Stay in your lane. This is my life, bitch. Real Housewives of Potomac really helps illustrate this little nugget of information. Robin and Candace used to be friends. Very good friends, in fact. And Robin's husband, Juan Dixon, the player player from the Himalayas, was involved in an employment lawsuit of some kind and was bought out of his coaching contract and let go from his job. Last year, I believe, Robin spoke on the legal issue and said something to the effect of, I know that Juan handled everything correctly. That bitch is going to stand by her fucking man, I tell you. Well, now Candace is saying that Robin should not have made a comment publicly about the lawsuit and that her comment led to Juan being fired. Candace is framing it as advice, saying that she does not believe that it is smart to discuss any ongoing legal matter and that Robin, speaking on it, did not help one out. And I agree with Candace. I do not think it's wise to publicly comment on an ongoing legal matter. But that comment just ends up being the catalyst to Robin having an emotional breakdown on their trip to Austin, Texas. Candace could have benefited from implementing my two-step test when thinking about giving unsolicited advice. Is it helpful? Is it helpful for Candace to point out that Robin speaking about Juan's legal matter a year ago led to him getting fired? No, it's not. How does this statement help at all? She can't go back in time and unsay it. This is not fucking helpful. So we don't even move on to step two. So that little piece of advice should have stayed in the vault. 
But I don't think Candace is coming from a bad place. I think, I just think she gave unsolicited advice that is entirely useless now. So a new Salt Lake City aired and I did not enjoy seeing Monica drive shave her legs in the sprinter van on the way to the yacht. Like, so not fucking cute. Just go with hairy legs. I honestly don't know what to believe anymore with the Monica, Meredith, fake social media account debacle. It's kind of now looking like Monica is the one who created a fake Instagram account and started spreading shit about the other ladies on the cast and tried to blame it on Meredith. Well, next week is the season finale and we will find out what happened when Heather has her hot mic moment and we believe it has something to do with Monica. Let's talk about Southern Charm. Y'all, I think we are seeing the fall of the Shep Rose Empire. For those of you who don't know, Shep Rose has been a lead cast member on Southern Charm since it began in 2014. The newest season is currently airing. And Shep Rose is the exact same person he was 10 years ago. He doesn't have a job, which is fine. He has family money. His only serious girlfriend was Taylor, who is also now on the show. And they dated for a few years and he cheated on her allegedly. Not allegedly. I'm pretty sure he admitted it to it on this season that he cheated on her. Well, he still appears to be doing the exact same fucking thing 10 years later, but maybe that's fun to him. Mm. This most recent episode of Southern Charm gave me the indication that we are seeing a bit of a decline from Shep Rose. And it feels like all the other cast members kind of feel the same. Every time he mentions the last time he was in Jamaica like it's impressive, everyone is like, dude, that was 20 years ago. I was in first grade. It's not cute. It's kind of sad. The gang all went on a yacht and it was a very fun day until we saw Shep dancing on the bow of the boat. And I came to the strong conclusion that dancing really isn't for tall people. Like, you're just up there flailing your arms and attempting a dance move that can only be described as a one-handed crab walk. It wasn't cute. But the absolute kicker for me that may have royally screwed Shep out of any female future hookups began when the gang was on the bus going to dinner and Craig asked what advice Shep would give to the next girl that dates JT. And as we've covered before, JT is a short king. And Shep not so cleverly goes for the low-hanging fruit and says, Uh, don't wear heels. <laughs> uh. Then Craig asked Shep's ex-girlfriend Taylor what advice she would give to the next girl who dated Shep. And Taylor, with all her faults, has her mic drop moment and says, Don't expect to finish. As in, he's not going to make sure you have an earmuffs mom orgasm. That does not sound fun, Shep. And everyone starts laughing because obviously this is totally not surprising. But it's kind of shocking at the same time. Like, of course Shep is a selfish lover. And then he doubles down and says, yeah, uh, I don't care. 
I'll finish and then you'll still be hanging out. And as long as I don't, and as long as I get off, I don't care. I'm not going to go through a whole fucking production. (sighs) If there are any ladies out there who still want to bang Shep after hearing that he does not care if you have an orgasm, I will pay for your therapy. I will start a GoFundMe for your therapy. Taylor even goes as far as to say she may have had three orgasms during the entirety of her sexual relationship with Shep, who was her serious boyfriend. Wow. I'm not sure how many episodes we have left of Southern Charm, but Bravo released the first six minutes of the new episode, and it's Taylor addressing the entire group at dinner. And when she's questioned about whether she and Austin spoke to their families about possibly being in a relationship, Taylor stated that she confided in her brother. And she says, you know, I love my brother very much. And then she looks directly at Olivia and said, who just lost her brother, Connor. Yes, I love my brother as I'm sure you love your brother, Olivia. I mean, it was fucking crickets. I don't really think it was the substance of what Taylor said, but I think that her lack of awareness to bring up Olivia's brother who just passed away unexpectedly is in really bad form. Especially when it kind of seems like you may be trying to deflect and get the heat off of you because it's looking like you allegedly slept with your best friend's boyfriend. Again, is it helpful? Fuck no. Is it kind? Definitely not. So I don't know what's going to happen next week, but we will just see. Y'all, I saw the dumbest article the other day about Taylor Swift. This article was published by a company called All Time Entertainment. And the headline reads, Taylor Swift would reportedly need to plant 2,200 trees to offset, offset the damage her romance with Travis Kelsey has caused to the planet. What's the fucking point of this all-time entertainment? Why are you hating on a bitch trying to live her best goddamn life? I have never seen an article about Leonardo DiCaprio, who I know doesn't fly commercial, detailing the damage his private plane has done to the planet while he flies around the world and fucks 26-year-old bitches and not a day over 26. I've clearly aged out, but I'm okay with that. And from what I've heard on the streets... It would be a letdown. And I feel like Leo and Shep might share the same selfish lover mindset. But seriously, all-time entertainment, is this helpful? No. Is it kind? No. But will Taylor probably go plant those 2,200 trees if she sees this article? You bet your sweet ass she will. Y'all, I thought recently about quitting the podcast it's like hard not knowing how people are receiving the episodes like I just write this shit down I'm at home and I'm like oh that would be really funny but I never hear a laugh and I never know if the joke landed or I never know if what I'm talking about is resonating with people but I've heard from several people lately friends old and new who have told me that they are really liking the podcast and that made me so fucking happy. Can I just say that I appreciate y'all reaching out to me so much because I don't barely get 
any feedback on the episode, so it's really hard to tell how I'm doing. If there's something you'd like me to talk about, send me a text message, send me a DM. I'll fucking talk about it. I was looking at my social media recently and I feel like it's kind of like misleading. Not misleading, but like not a complete representation of me because it looks like I'm funny, happy, and jolly all the time. And that's not the fucking case. I have breakdowns. I will just start fucking crying. But I don't film any of that shit and none of my social media shows it. But if I'm being honest, like my anxiety and my stress and what I've been going through is a major part of my life right now. And I think that's kind of the problem with social media. It's like very narrowly tailored content that someone is curating and editing to show you what they want to show you. And no one posts anything about themselves in a negative light. So I'm just mentioning this just to put it out there. Everyone goes through shit. It's okay if you're going through shit. It's okay if you're down. Just keep it fucking moving. Just keep swimming. Dude, Dory from Finding Nemo had it right. Just keep swimming. I want to give a little appreciation. Thank you to every single one of you crazy fuckers who are listening to this podcast. I'm a crazy fucking bitch, but y'all are the ones listening, so we're in good company, I think. But seriously, all of the support that I've gotten on social media, all of the texting me, all of the people DMing me, I cannot thank you enough for the positive response that I have been getting recently from doing this podcast. It's really keeping me going and if you ever feel the urge to reach out to me and tell me what you think about the podcast and you're thinking, oh, she doesn't want to hear it, I fucking do. I want to hear it. I want to hear about it every single time. So if you got an opinion... Hit me with it. It's also really fun talking about the subjects that I love and just talking exactly about what I want to talk about. And apparently, I can talk a lot. So I'm just going to keep this thing rolling into 35. 35 and feeling alive, bitch. Thank you, everybody, for listening to my birthday episode, episode 16 of The Rich Room. It's about time that you send me a text message and wish me a happy birthday. Don't leave me hanging on my birthday, bitch. It's 504-224-9919. Follow me at Lindsay underscore Sobel and also follow at The Rich Room Podcast. Leave us five stars everywhere you can and leave me a little birthday review. How about that? Bye. Bye.